3: Welcome back to the New European Podcast. My name is Steve Anglesey. Richard Porritt is flaunting his curves on the beaches of North Norfolk this week, so I'm joined by Matt Withers from the New European website. Hello. Uh, Later on we'll be talking to Jerry Scott. She is furious, and rightly so, once again. Uh, But let's start with a look at this week's news. Matt, what a week David Davis has had.
1: Yes. Yeah, so the hapless Brexit secretary appeared before the Brexit Select Committee uh, yesterday at the time of recording. It went stunningly well, as you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, He started off by talking about the negotiations going down to the wire and suggested that the promised vote which MPs would have on a final deal may come after the UK has already exited the EU. Uh, He then had to contradict this within about three hours when his department put out a statement clarifying that indeed this vote would take place well before leaving the EU. This was the same uh, session of evidence before the committee at which he described the idea of the negotiations going on to the 11th hour as very exciting, which are words I'm sure went down well with the business community
3: yes it's what a, it's a bit of a bit, a bit of a shambles really hasn't it um contradicted by your own department slapped down by the prime minister well that, i mean that's just half of the course if you're in the cabinet now uh she has to go around correcting people all the time um he has since said hasn't he that um that um Parliament are going to, the, the, the choice in the vote is going to be a choice between approving the deal or just ha- going having no deal at all, so no going back to negotiations or anything like that. That's, quite, that's a, quite a remarkable scenario as well. It is quite a remarkable scenario,
1: and you wonder how much thought he's actually <laughs> given to this, yeah. um, because th- that's a nonsensical situation to be in, there's no point even having that vote. Um, that is not going to play well at all with uh, anyone within the business community, uh, i.e. The, the traditional backers of the Conservative Party. You get the impression of a man just absolutely winging it. You know, you, I watched much of this evidence yesterday, and he just comes across as finding the whole thing just a bit of a wheeze.
3: Yeah, he seems to find it very amusing, doesn't he? Uh, that, that's right. And uh, the Telegraph are reporting that a Conservative minister have said that this U-turn, this whole shambles, is evidence that Davis has, uh, I'm quoting here, he's mentally checked out and he doesn't care um, because as soon as March 2019 happens, he's going to resign.
1: Yeah, there's been some suggestion that he sees this very much as his one final job in politics. I mean, really, it's his one and only job in politics. You have to remember, he's... Achieve very, very little to actually get into such a hugely historical and influential role. Uh, David Davis is a man who spent 10 years on the backbenches um, pursuing all manner of uh, esoteric causes before being brought into government by Theresa May. Most people have forgotten the reason why he once resigned his seat as to spark one of the most pointless and obscure by-elections in uh, recent political history. Um, and yet he finds himself unbelievably, really, heading up these negotiations quite clearly out of his depth and and as we said he, he appears to find the whole thing um quite comical
3: yeah he does yeah he brought back a, a country that doesn't exist as well this week, didn't he? Yeah, this was, uh, this was quite remarkable as well. He told the uh,
1: committee that Czechoslovakia doesn't currently have a government, which of course it doesn't, because it was dissolved <laughs> as a country in, in 1993. Uh, we await to see if he's actually squared things with Yugoslavia and Austria-Hungary. Uh, some <laughs> wags on Twitter have actually pointed out that uh, Czechoslovakia is actually uh, split in two, which is at least better than the current
3: Conservative Party. Oh, uh, a bit of politics there, as, as Ben Elton used to say. Um, we touched on this in the last episode, but um, but if you if you missed it, David Davis did an interview with Devel, the, the the German paper, the other day, and he ended it by saying, "I've never killed anybody," which is. Um, which is a bit like Henry Bolton being caught by the the, the classic. If you're doing an interview, never discuss <laughs> uh, throttling dead, both throttling badgers to death. Um, so he said, you know, he was talking about his days in the Territorial SAS, and and they, I think they said, you know, does has that made you good at negotiating? And he said, well, I've never killed, I've not killed anyone yet. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean it is a rather um, bizarre brag to make um,
1: Because in the era that he, he was in it Their role was considerably less significant So very little killing would have taken place He would perhaps have been um, better advised To have taken the, the Paddy Ashdown route Who's also regularly asked this question And completely fudge it
3: Yes, that's right I'd have to If I answered that, I'd have to kill you I think is what he probably should have said um, And then, you know, I think we also mentioned this this week um, but when after Simon Brodkin got on stage at the Tory, uh, the Tory conference, Davis is reported to have told friends he's lucky I didn't hit him. He'd have been down for a long time. And, of course, that is just wonderful because David Davis was sat there yard, inches away, not yards away, feet away, let's say, um, uh, and, and did absolutely uh, nothing at all. Um, it has been a terrible week for David Davis, um, which makes me laugh.
1: Does... Does he think it has
3: though? But does he actually care? <laughs> Did you get the impression, no, not at all. No, it's. I think it's. It, I think it is. It's no. Uh, yeah, it's no fucks given. I think for, for for David Davis, it's been quite a good week for Jeremy Corbyn, hasn't it? I think that is three PMQs on the run now, where that he has clearly won.
1: Yeah, he, Corbyn. Is getting the hang of
3: this. I mean, it's terrible at two
1: years on. We're we're, we're kind of applauding him for his trousers not falling down when he stands up for what what is one of his his, his biggest jobs to do. I mean, you you know with Jeremy Corbyn, he is broadly fine when it's something he cares about. So something like universal credit, um, he's absolutely fine on anything around public sector, wages, funding. He's very much in his comfort zone there. Where he's not great is where he's talking about what we talk about, which is Brexit, and that's because really... He's not that bothered.
3: Mm, that's true. That's true. I do. I think the Groundhog Day thing is, um, is quite a, a good one for him. It is, but I, I'm just going to stick this out there. Does anyone think he's seen that film? Mm. Or, or indeed any comedy film or TV show ever made? No. If Ken Loach had made um, <laughs> yeah. Groundhog Day, which would be a very... Very different film. <laughs> yeah. The Groundhog. The poor little Groundhog... Made unemployed by his cruel bosses. Dragged
1: down by a system that only
3: works for a handful (laughs) of rodents. Forced to live in a hole. (laughs) Comes out once a year to claim his benefits. Anyway, but yes, I don't think Jeremy Corbyn has actually seen Groundhog Day. I think he would view it as being quite flippant, wouldn't he?
1: I think he would just point out that this couldn't happen.
3: (laughs) (laughs) How is he waking up every day to the same thing? (laughs) But in a very real sense, aren't we all waking up every day to the same thing? Yeah, Isn't Tory austerity. Indeed. You know?
1: Jeremy Corbyn pretty much wakes up every day in nineteen
3: seventy four. He does. Yeah, he that, that is Groundhog Day um, right there. I did like. I do like the idea of sort of us, of us all going uh, driving the red Brexit truck over the limestone quarry edge with little punks tawny, David Davis <laughs> at the wheel with his little paws on the on the wheel. Um, Anyway, so a total disaster for David Davis that week. Chris Heaton Harris, he's had a great week though in comparison, hasn't he? Well, I mean, in no, the people really. have heard of Chris Heaton Harris <laughs> which 7 yeah. days ago nobody had. Who is he, if you if you're a listener who's not heard? So Chris, Chris Eden
1: Harris is a Conservative Whip. Um, he has been described as a leading uh, Brexiteer. I suppose he's he's quite loud in in that sphere. As I say, he's not not exactly a household name, or or what not even in his own household. No. But, um, so he's the gentleman who asked universities this week uh, right across the UK to provide a list of the staff that are teaching about Brexit. He also asked for copies of their course syllabuses and links to online lectures, which <laughs> uh, is incredible incredibly lazy thing for him to do he 's the m p for daventry he 's been accused of McCarthyism uh, Chris Patton, the former Tory chairman who I think is now at oxford uh, he described as idiotic leninism uh, Joe Johnson, the brother of boris uh, very much the, uh, the the brighter spark of the the two Johnson ministers, he's a university's minister, he said it shouldn't have been sent. And then he made this um, yeah. this unexpected claim <laughs> on the Today programme that he was merely researching a book, and that's why he'd fired off this letter.
3: Yes, that's right. Just researching a book on, on maybe it's on McCarthyism and, 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 and threat-making. I did like, I mean, there were many lecturers who said If he wanted that, then all he had to do was send them £9,000, because that is what his government um, are are doing. Um, People also pointed out that um, if he was researching a book, he'd done so by writing on official House of Commons notepaper... Um, in his capacity as an MP, which is not really part of his job to do that, is it? No, it, it,
1: it's not, and um, I believe that Tom Brake, the Liberal Democrat MP, has made an official complaint to Parliament over this, so uh, an investigation will be sparked, and I suspect he might have his uh, hands slapped over this. The other reason uh, why this claim is questionable, um, David Aronovich, in his Times column, makes the very good point that he's written a lot of books, and when he's written to people uh, to research them, he tends to begin them with... I am writing a book. <laughs> That's right. <yeah. laughs> At no point did Mr. Eaton Harris do To be fair, he is an author, um, did a little bit of research, went on to uh, Amazon. He has actually uh, been behind two books... In 2012, he was the co-author of Together Against Wind, a step-by-step guide on opposing a wind farm in your area. Together
3: Against Wind? (laughs) Yes.
1: Um, I think you can get that for 99 pence on Amazon at the moment. The same year, he also penned what I think most people would consider his uh, chef d'oeuvre fighting the kelmarsh wind farms it's pretty much a theme in his book it is Uh, you can get that the kindle edition i think is 49 pence
3: are you are you you fighting against wind at the moment or i I,
1: I mean i presumably we're talking literally here i'm a a fan of wind farms i find them quite
3: aesthetically pleasing yeah i'm I'm the whole (laughs) the whole wind genre (laughs) <laughs> it's a, It's not so. It's not an element that I've got a strong uh, feeling about. But I do like. I do like a wind farm. Yeah. Um. I like seeing a wind farm. But then you know. But then I'm not a bird that's killed in the rotors, or, or uh, an old fogey who's moaning about it spoiling his view. Anyway, um. The other thing about Chris Heaton Harris is that he's an amateur comedian, isn't he?
1: In, in inverted commas, yes. yes, he uses. Well, he's
3: I'm definitely amateur. Well, yeah,
1: that's very much. Yeah, he uses his um, Twitter account, which I suspect nobody had seen prior to a couple of days ago, to um, to post jokes, which um, would have been dated around the time of the nineteen seventies series, The Comedians. <laughs>
3: Uh, a few examples. They're here. not funny, are they? That's the problem. Well,
1: really. I mean, they're 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 pretty terrible. I mean, this is really kind of Wizard and Chips fare. Uh Why does a squirrel swim on its back? Yeah. To keep his nuts dry. Um, yeah. I don't know if squirrels swim on their backs or indeed swim at all.
3: No, I've, I've never seen a swimming squirrel. I've seen
1: no, um, no examples of aquatic squirrel play. What if 12 hands, 12 legs, and 12 eyes? 12 pirates. Mm. Um, So, I mean, arguably disablest. Yeah. Uh, My neighbour's new pet dog moves unpredictably from side to side. It's a lurcher. Uh, When relaxing, the seven dwarfs like to play a bit of golf... Supposedly, they buy their clubs at Littlewoods. That, for our younger listeners, is a high street chain which closed down <laughs>
3: approximately two decades ago. <laughs> it's see that is it's there's a jo- there's a there's a shadow of a joke in there, isn't there? But the the joke, especially on Twitter, is where do the seven dwarves buy their golf clubs? Question mark Littlewoods. Yeah, yeah. There's a kernel of it. Or maybe a, where did they when the store was still... Yeah, extant, but when,
1: when the Seven Dwarfs played golf in 1992, where did they buy their where they were, Did yeah. they sell golf clubs, Littlewoods? I
3: don't even think they did.
1: Um, I mean, we're getting into kind of um, Stuart Lee-style breakdown and examinations of, of, of comedy here, and I'm not quite sure that his herb justifies it.
3: Nuts are expensive. The ones I bought today cost al- almond a leg. So that should be an almond a leg, but it's an almond doesn't sound like that much like an almond, does it? No, um, almond a leg. Almond a leg, and it makes me think of Mark Almond. Yeah. Um,
1: also, I mean, nuts aren't expensive.
3: The, the, so, the, the, so, the,
1: so, so if we're going to continue this um, Leafian examination of his comedy the, the, the premise on which that entire joke hangs Doesn't work
3: No, that's true um, But I do note that of the five jokes That we have uh, mentioned there two are nuts related Yes, <laughs> um, well, maybe, quite. Maybe, <laughs> There you go So maybe like Neville Southall and his skeletons Chris Heaton-Harris When he's not... Uh, uh, tacitly threatening university lecturers is, is, is obsessed with his own, uh, with, with nuts in general, or perhaps his own genitalia.
1: Yes, or, or when he's um, penning guidebooks to resisting wind <laughs> farms. That seems to be his, uh, his, his other pleasure in life.
3: Who else is at war with universities? This is
1: the uh, the Daily Mail. Um oh so they, the, the, the <laughs> conservative supporting mail looked at the results of the recent general election, where the conservatives were arguably denied a majority by an influx of young educated liberal voters, and decided you know what let 's really go for universities here so they 've got a, what they call a special mail investigation where they have found, and I, I want to quote um, Michael, is the,
3: the, 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 the stuff is devastating, isn't it, <laughs> that they've uncovered?
1: This is a, a tweet that amused me um, earlier from Michael <laughs> Merrifield, who's a professor of astronomy at Nottingham University. He says, The Daily Mail has noticed that the vast majority of people who have spent their lives studying economics and politics thinks Brexit is a bad idea. <laughs> Could probably add history to that as well.
3: Yes. They've uncovered these shock truths. Before the vote a raft of senior academics spoke publicly to urge their students to backstaying in the EU. Uh, one student campaigner revealed a professor had stormed up to him at a vote leave stall and compared Brexit supporters to the Nazis. Well, it's his word for it. Um, uh, leave supporters noted that opinion polls had shown more than 8 in 10 academics voted remain and, but this this, this is ties it all together, listen to carefully to this, UK universities are the largest beneficiary of EU research funds uh, to higher education institutions, receiving more than £1 billion a year. Um, they're the highest beneficiary of EU research funds to higher education institutions, so UK <laughs> universities. So in a class which contains universities and what else, higher other higher education things. Some colleges, universities get most of it.
1: Yeah, it makes when you actually look at it, it makes no sense it's whatsoever. Dev- it, does is,
3: it is devastating. Um, yeah, I mean the, the, so. They have set. They have set up a shop. Your lecturer's um, email address. I'm afraid to say that this some people, some people are writing spurious emails to university at dailymail.co.uk, and therefore clogging up the time of whoever is operating the university at dailymail.co.uk email address. And I think we would like to make. Sh- Clear that we don't support anyone who is um, going to send spurious emails to university at dailymail.co.uk.
1: No, especially if they're um, incredibly lengthy and put on attachments, very, very big <laughs> file size Large. attachments.
3: That would be really terrible. So don't do that to university at dailymail.co.uk. Uh, I've got a, a plan here, I've got a modest proposal and I know I'm invoking Godwin's law here, but screw Godwin. Why don't they just get rid of all lecturers who are Brexiteers, uh, sorry, who are Remainers, uh, known liberals, social Democrats, and then give all the rectors power, um, and then you can only be a lecturer if you've successfully completed a six-week training course at the Daily Mail Brexit is Brilliant lecturers' alliance camp, uh, where you'll do fitness courses and learn rudimentary military drill. Uh, And then we'll change the curriculum so um, that Brexiteers, achievements of, of Brexiteers are lauded, and then any achievement made by a Remainer is just ignored or derided. What do you think of that? I think it's a spectacular idea. I, yeah. think, I think we need it to be
1: led, perhaps, by a leading Brexiteer with a PhD. I believe Paul Nottle's currently, yeah. uh, currently the, out of
3: work. That's true. Um, so I think they've tried that. Well, it's been tried once before in history, that kind of thing. Um, but I think um, but I think that's the, that's the way we are going with that one. Um, just another reminder, please... Do not send any spurious emails to university at dailymail.co.uk. I, I hope we've we've laid that one to rest um, now.
1: For God's sake, don't do it in the form of
3: a video <laughs> you send to them, because that would play all havoc with their email service. It would be. That would be terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, Paul Dacre doesn't actually have email, does he? Did you know this?
1: Famously not, no. He has everything printed out and brought in. He has emails.
3: <laughs> he has his email. He doesn't have a computer on his desk.
1: Allegedly, no. There's, there's, uh, he, he has somebody who <laughs> brings in his emails in printed format. Um, this is how he manages to uh, keep up this myth that uh, there is a complete difference between his paper and its website, which has very different values.
3: Yes, it does. Okay, uh, that was the news of the week. Um, A tremendous week for Brexit uh, idiocy. We will be back talking of Brexiteer idiocy with the Brexiteer of the Week. Brexiteer of the Week. Now it's time to crown the worst Brexiteer of the week. Let's start with Jacob Rees-Mogg, shall we? Um, God, he's smug, isn't he? Uh, The Victorian Undertaker is is, is at all-out war now with the business lobbyists of the Confederation of British Industry. Uh, He keeps referring to them as the EU-funded CBI uh, and did so during a really smug appearance on LBC. He refused to retract the phrase the EU-funded CBI, even when a caller pointed out That 0.6% of the CBI's total annual revenue, which is less than £150,000 a year, comes from Brussels. And that comes because they subscribe to various, um, various research papers that the European Commission puts out. But he still, Rees-Mogg, still said, well, that proves that they are EU-funded and and wanted to refer to them continually as the EU-funded CBI. So last month, you might remember, it was revealed that despite his opposition to abortion, Jacob Rees-Mogg's company owned shares in an Indonesian firm whose ulcer treatments are widely used in Indonesia Uh, for illegal terminations. So therefore, by his own logic, we are going to refer to Jacob Rees-Mogg from now on as the abortion pill-funded Jacob Rees-Mogg. Let's move on to Nigel Farage. He's authentic, isn't he? He's a real man of the people. And he appeared on Good Morning Britain this week with the most ridiculous... Chestnut rinse in his hair. He now no longer looks like a nicotine stained man frog. He looks like a nicotine stained man frog who's wearing the old wig uh, of Alan Fluff Freeman. There's no suggestion at all that this new look has got anything to do with Nigel Farage sharing a home with a woman who's 16 years his junior. But I imagine that the next time we see the human Fredo bar on Question Time, which will be his 30-second appearance on the biased BBC, um, he will appear riding his new Harley Davidson onto the stage. Then he'll peel off his leathers to reveal Mr Brexit tattooed across his chest in gangster script. But the Brexiteer of the week is Boris Johnson. The Boris Johnson is apparently so bad at his job according to the Mail on Sunday, that senior EU figures call his deputy Alan Duncan Monsieur Le Poop Scoop, because Alan Duncan has to go around clearing up his master's little accidents. What are those little accidents? Well, we all know. We all know uh, the, the numerous gaffes and blunders that Boris Johnson has made even in recent weeks and still refusing to really apologise for the cert thing, uh, which is uh, is quite remarkable. Um, since then, he has attacked Jeremy Corbyn for going on Russia Today, hasn't he? And he said nobody on his side would do similar. Here are a list of some Tories who've been on Russia Today recently. Crispin Blunt, David Amos. Andrew Mitchell, Charles Henry, Peter Lilly, David Davies, not Davis, Davies, Bill Cash, Craig Whittaker, Bob Blackman, Andrew Rossendale, Mike Freer, Quasi Quarteng, Michael Fabricant, and Johnny Mercer. Oh, and Boris's own dad, Stanley Johnson. I I, I watched him on Russia Today the other week talking about his new book. Um, Another great blunder from Boris Johnson, and the reason that he is the Brexiteer of the week, though, is this uh, good piece by Rachel Sylvester in the times uh, this week. She mentioned that Boris Johnson had said to her that post Brexit economy in the UK is going to look like a Nike tick. Now as somebody who goes out jogging every day, um, you would imagine that Boris Johnson would be familiar with what a Nike tick looks like as train wearers know what Boris Johnson is saying is going to happen to our economy is that it's going to start from a very high position It's going to go down and down and down, actually going backwards at one point, and then it's going to take a long, long, long time to get right back to exactly where it started. And if you don't think that that's right, go and look at a Nike ticket. It doesn't go down, shallow, and then straight back up in a big hockey stick, like he seems to think. It goes down, 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 and it takes an age to creep back to where it began. So Boris Johnson is the Brexiteer of the
2: week. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling zero one eight five eight four three eight eight four zero and quoting Podcast One, or order online at our website, www.neweuropean.co.uk. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European.
3: So another Brexiteer of the week is crowned. Before we move on and talk to Jerry Scott, I just want to talk about a very different uh, kind of Brexiteer. Uh, this won't mean much to you unless you're a reader of the New European newspaper or you follow us on social media. Um, last week, a guy called Robert Miller died. Um, Robert Miller... Uh, started writing to the new european i think in the first week of publication certainly in the in the first two or three weeks of of publication um he wasn't an an ardent brexiteer he he wrote us loads and loads of letters we didn't publish them he wrote us five or six letters a week he pointed out what he saw were flaws with the anti-brexit logic in in the newspaper sometimes spelling mistakes sometimes little things Um, we decided to make a show of failing to print these letters Uh, And we kept up a weekly tally of his output and all the complaints on the letters page every week. I actually spoke to him in uh, in August of this year. He, he said initially it really frustrated him uh, that we didn't publish his letters because he thought that he had legitimate points to make. Uh, then he said, I'm quoting from him here, he says, now it amuses me that you don't publish them. I feel morally obligated to write each week to see what you come up with, which I think are genuinely quite witty. These were the kind of the responses that we put in. Have I become a new European institution, do you think? asked robert and he had and last month we actually printed one of his letters it was a very funny one too um in response to somebody who said that she'd written to a local newspaper to protest about brexit but they weren't uh, they weren't publishing her letters and, and robert said oh i wonder what that feels like um robert was 50 as i mentioned he passed away in liverpool he'd, he'd gone into hospital for some tests um and, uh, and didn't come out. Uh, it's it's a, a sad and, and sudden passing. Um, a guy called Andy Chatfield who worked with Robert on the Oxford Mail um got in touch with us last week, he said Rob was a one-off, he was an eccentric unashamedly fogeyish character with a sharp wit undoubted writing talent his day job was a sub-editor but he also wrote a very popular column and he became something of a familiar character in Oxford Uh, his exploits with the New European were the first I'd seen of him for many years but they were typical of him, expressing his often unfashionable views, firmly and with humour, even in the most unreceptive environments Um, Robert sent us about 150 letters, I think. Uh, None of them called us saboteurs or traitors or enemies of the people. He just disagreed with us. He just thought we were wrong. Uh, And that's kind of what it's all about, really, isn't it? Um, I'll really miss going through the new European letters every week. And, um, and not seeing Robert's name pop up in the, uh, in the inbox. Um, I did show some of his letters to, to, to my son um, this week, who, um, who has been on work experience with us this week, um, and he, he just said he was a really funny guy, wasn't he? Um, and he was. Um, so that's how we will remember uh, Robert Miller, um, uh, a Brexiteer, but not the Brexiteer of the week, and a really funny guy. And now I am joined by the fine journalist Jerry Scott, who Hello. is angry. You're angry, I'm aren't you? I'm always
2: angry. I'm always angry.
3: She's always angry. What are you angry about this week?
2: Specifically, I'm angry about Jared O'Mara. Okay. And who isn't at this stage? Yes, is the question as well. Um, so I'm sure our readers, um, our listeners, do know because they are well informed. But Jared O'Mara was the Sheffield Hallam Labour MP. And he's faced a number of allegations over the last week, two weeks. About some comments that were, you know, a long time ago, 15 years ago-ish. And then some more recent as well. Some racist comments, some sexist comments. One was a rape slur. Um, and they're it, disgusting.
3: Yes. Um, it's not very nice, is it? I mean, it no, is disgusting. It
2: is disgusting. Um, but what I found almost as outrageous not as outrageous, but almost as outrageous, is the response from some of the left. Yes. Um, I've read opinion pieces over the last few days excusing his behaviour because his first comments were posted a long time ago and he was apparently young. He wasn't. He was in his mid-twenties. Yeah. Um, And, of course, the more recent outbursts have caused him to be suspended from the Labour Party. Yes. But other people have shifted focus. Um, I read a column in The Guardian where... um, Gabby Hinsliff was kind of saying, you know, there are other members in the House of Commons who may have done worse. I mean, to be fair to her, she goes on to say why O'Mara's behaviour is so bad and it's not excusing him at all. But that shifting of blame onto someone else, that doesn't make it any better for me. And being on the left wing doesn't automatically make you the good guy.
3: No, that's um, right.
2: I think... For me, if you put it in the context of imagining when the Harvey Weinstein allegations broke, if we took seriously the excuse of, yeah, I mean, he's pretty bad, but there are worse people out there. Hmm. It's not it's not an excuse. Um, and what I found really weird was how the Labour Party said they didn't know about it until this week, which subsequently turned out to be a lie, actually, as yes, there was a press release, which was drafted, addressing it a month ago, which was never sent out. Um, Amara lied to... Maybe not unexpectedly, but he told journalists he would have admitted the comments sooner if he remembered them. I am um, I guess I'm shocked this didn't come up before. You remember when Jeremy Corbyn came to power, Steve, and he came to power in the <laughs> well, party? Yeah, yeah. But he did win the election. He did win the election <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, when Jeremy Corbyn became leader. And people were being chucked out of the party left, right and centre for any old thing, weren't they? Yes once tweeting that they'd voted green or, you know, um, it's a, a kind of having some kind of dissenting view. Um, so if they've got this massive group of people trawling through Labour MP or um, prospective candidates, Facebooks and Twitters mm. and past internet history, how could they miss Jared um, Mahara calling women sexy little slags? Or making homophobic or transphobic slurs online.
3: Yes. Well, um, I was suggesting... I mean, I'm not a fan of Jamie Cullum, particularly, well, but no. it's, his, his suggestion for Jamie Cullum is, is particularly harsh. It is, it is. Um, um, so, but
2: I'm sick of the mitigation. Yes. That so I was young, doesn't fly with me. I was going through a tough time. So are plenty of people, but they don't turn into homophobic sexist yeah. idiots. Um, and I made a mistake. It's a pattern of repeated behaviour over a number of years.
3: Yes, it is. Is the is the fact that that, that he is a sufferer of cerebral palsy? Is that any kind of excuse? Or... No,
2: I don't think so. I don't think so. You know, you don't see other people with this condition going round um, being well an asshole, basically, yes. do you? No. It's. I think it's no excuse. Um, the reaction from Owen Jones, friend of this. Uh, his yes. publication was uh, quite strange. I thought he said that um, Amara had to prove he'd changed, mm. and I don't think had he been a Tory MP, there would have been so much acceptance for this.
3: No, I agree.
2: And to be to be fair to Owen Jones, he has said that since the new accusations have come out, he's changed his mind. Yeah. Um, you know, I have to say that that is that is what he's said. But yes, even to say that we can gloss over the 15-year-old incidents, to me, shows a willingness to be blissfully ignorant to what's going on.
3: Yes, I, I could not agree more. Now, I mean, obviously, in, in fairness to Owen Jones uh, and and to others, uh, you know, Jared O'Mara apparently made a very... Uh, Passionate yes. and uh, regretful speech uh, to Labour MPs. This was before some new allegations came yeah. out, and then he was suspended. And people sort of began to say that he should be given a, a, another chance. Yeah. Um, what do you think should happen to him?
2: Uh, it's difficult to say, isn't it? You think it? he
3: should resign from being? a to yeah. stand down. I basically. do think. I
2: do think he should stand down. I don't think there's any place in our system for this kind of behaviour. But yeah. I do think that this is going to be something we're going to see more and more of. Yes, I he, hope, I
3: actually, I hope so, <laughs> in in a way. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, he grew up, he was a young man in this time where the internet was a really free space, where the lines of privacy weren't really drawn yet, and people didn't really realise that everyone could see what you were doing, hmm. although, obviously, they could. Yes. Um... I think we're now entering a time where more and more mps will have grown up online um i don't think it's an excuse because um when the Sun trawled through marie black's tweets the worst they found was her saying that maths is shite um and you know (laughs) there are plenty of other mps who i'm sure didn't say apparent things online but what it does mean is that going forward whatever they've said as young people whether just misguided or completely disgusting May well come back to bite them, and journalists like me are going to be uh, looking for those comments.
3: Good, good. Um, yes, I mean, I, I, I find myself once again agreeing with the words of Sarah Harding <laughs> from Girls Aloud <laughs> who seems remarkable. I mean, uh, so Sarah Harding, let's you know, she has she has got a um, she has got a dog in this fight. Part of the Jared O'Mara stuff is a a. Awful. uh, Well, it's not a joke. It's an attempt at a joke. I think about having an orgy with girls Mm -hmm. allowed, and uh, and Sarah Harding has sort of said said most of the stuff that you said. why didn't it come up when he was selected as a prospective parliamentary candidate? And and then how did he have the stones to sit on the select committee for women and equality? Oh,
2: absolutely! It's just completely mad, isn't it? Uh,
3: yes, and then just and, and then and she says casually leaving the select committee as if he's done little wrong is not enough, and, yeah. I, and I and I tend to agree with her. Why are there so many of the names that we've heard in the last few weeks? Connect who are connected with this physical or verbal abuse of women from the left wing. I mean, there have been a couple of journalists, obviously Harvey Weinstein, who mm-hmm. is a completely different thing from, from oh, Jared course. O'Mara, um, uh, is, was a, a big donor to the Democrats. What? Why is that? Is that coincidence? Or is it something else of the left wing got a problem with this?
2: You know, I don't think the left wing per se, have a problem yeah. with this. I think society has a problem with this. But I think the picture that the left can sometimes paint of themselves, that they could be whiter than white, gives them further to fall. Yes. Um, you know, the, uh, a lot of people on the right don't have this image of, you know, caring, loving, equality, that yes. kind of thing. And so <laughs> maybe it's not, always such a surprise when these things come out. I think when someone on the left is facing these allegations, there's a lot of disappointment as well. And the reaction seems to be, rather than denounce them straight away, no, it wasn't as bad as it says, it's not as bad as it says, and it turns out it is, and it causes even more damage. So I don't think it's a left-wing or Labour problem as such. It's a societal problem. It's a
3: general problem. And I imagine that, you know, we're, we're, we're reading... Already about a WhatsApp group which is going around naming and shaming mm-hmm. um, uh, MPs who have, have been involved in in kind of uh, well not uh, not not, any, not I don't think there's any sort of notion that they're involved in the kind of the depths of stuff that harvey weinstein appears to have been doing but inappropriate behavior nonetheless inappropriate inappropriate behavior um of course so i think that more of that will 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 come out i think you're right that we are more disappointed when it is people of the left and it's somehow more of a shock Mm. uh, and that sort of holier than thou thing um uh, which, which you know, sometimes we, I guess we we do have on the left. You know, yeah, I course. think we expect more, actually, don't we, yeah. of of left leaning politicians in a way uh, than than we do of some right leaning politicians. Also, you know, the the whole hypocrisy thing, isn't it? People hate do as a, people who say do as a, you know do as I do, um, uh, and then go against it and, yeah. um, and and you know and back in the midst of time you would say that even somebody like David Meller, who thankfully you are too young to remember <laughs> um you know, the, when he was caught having an affair with somebody, probably the worst thing that he did was then to wheel his entire family, including his poor then-wife, mm-hmm. out at the garden gates for a nice family photo. And I think that was when people, rather than him having an affair, people, that was when people went, this bloke's actually uh, rather unprincipled. Um, I also think, and Barbara Ellen says this in the New European, very more eloquently than I can say it, it's a fantastic piece from Barbara Ellen this week, that, you know nobody says, when Jimmy Savile's crimes were exposed, no-one referred to him as the Tory support in Jimmy Savile, <laughs> even though he was a, a, an open Conservative supporter and a big friend of Margaret Thatcher throughout his life. People just thought he was a scumbag. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and uh, people, you know, I think, should think that Harvey Weinstein is a scumbag uh, and not um, of the left. Now, taking a dramatic turn... Yes. You've met, in the last week, you've met the Prime Minister mm-hmm. and, well, and the Prime Minister because they both won the election.
2: <laughs>
3: so you have met Jeremy Corbyn yes. and you've also met um, Theresa May. Yeah, it's and, been a busy week. And you asked them both the same question. I
2: asked them both the same question. Um, I asked them both if uh, the final Brexit deal would be put to the public for a vote. Okay. Um, Shall we hear
3: what Jeremy Corbyn said yes,
2: first? Yes, let's. in HC brussels what's your take on the brexit negotiations well, as i said
0: we um, i went to brussels to meet um Number of people, including several prime ministers, during the day. I was there, to meet European uh, MPs and British Labour MPs, as well as a uh, meeting with Michel Barnier and with the President of the European Parliament. We set out the general approach of Labour on this, which is tariff-free access to the European market, is maintenance of uh, environmental, consumer, and workers' rights conditions in Britain but in the longer sense, the importance of not turning Britain into a sort of low-tax haven on the shores of Europe, but something that works with Europe. After all, half of our trade is with Europe.
2: Absolutely. Um, Can I ask you a bit about the Brexit deal? Do you think that the public should be given a final say on that deal?
0: I think the final deal should certainly come to Parliament, and Parliament should be able to take... An informed decision on it. The problem at the moment is the government may even be countenancing no deal at all. In mm-hmm. which case, uh, Britain falls off the cliff in March 2019, and world trade then becomes World Trade Organization trade rules with tariffs associated. The effect on manufacturing industry, on food processing industry, on services would be enormous and um, we have to have uh, an agreement with uh, with Europe on this, and that's why I went to Europe not to negotiate, I can't do that, I'm not the government, but to set out what our position would be so they were clear of the priorities that the Labour government would adopt, and I have to say they were uh, everyone we met was extremely keen to hear what we had in mind. we got a very good reception.
3: OK, so what do we think of that answer?
2: Well, I mean, it's kind of not surprising is it um no I I I don't think he expected the question because I was there um on local issues so I think it, it might have caught him a bit off guard um but he'd just been to Brussels at this point and uh said that he'd as you heard set out his stall um for what Labour would be doing if they were in power um and that's very much the kind of line that he's taken
3: Yes. Okay. Well, now let's listen to Theresa May asking the same question. She was at our office. Uh, which is very exciting. On Thursday. Okay.
2: I think we I've should got one word final word? one. Well, is that possible? Questions. Yeah. Um it's just uh one on Brexit obviously. Negotiations ongoing at the moment. When we've got a final deal package, should that be put to the public to have a vote on?
0: There will be no second referendum. The British the British public gave their decision. They wanted the United Kingdom to leave the EU, and we will do so in March 2019. There will be a vote. We've committed to Parliament that there will be a vote in Parliament on the uh, on that withdrawal uh, deal. And uh, obviously, uh, looking at when we have that withdrawal deal, we intend to have the uh, nature of the future partnership as well. So uh, it will be Parliament will have an opportunity. But we asked the British people their view, and their view was that we should leave the EU, and that's what we're going to do.
3: OK, so what do we think of Theresa May's answer?
2: Well, isn't it funny that they both gave <laughs> pretty much the same answer? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it, it, uh, Mrs May didn't go quite as far as saying Brexit means Brexit, but it, she did roll out that there will be no second referendum. Um, she did say the vote will go back to Parliament. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's just strange to have them vaguely on the same page.
3: Yes, it doesn't happen very often, no. does it? Uh Jeremy Corbyn, you met where? Where was that? Um,
2: I met him in Great Yarmouth. In I met, Great I Yarmouth. Church in Great he Yarmouth. loves Yarmouth. Oh, he loves Yarmouth. Um, Always uh,
3: on the seafront, vaping, <laughs> having a tattoo. <laughs>
2: having a chip. Um, yeah. But he was there for a uh, meeting of local Labour Party members and um, kind of discussing local issues. But, yeah, I managed to pin him down there. Um, and then, as you say, Theresa May came into our offices on Thursday um, and chatted about a variety of things, including Brexit.
3: I'm going to ask you a this has got absolutely nothing to do with Brexit or policy or anything like this and I'm not asking this because to to introduce an element of fluff into the the hardcore politics of the new European podcast but what which one smelled better Jeremy Corbyn or Theresa May?
2: Um Theresa May was very, wearing very nice perfume. Yes. She did smell very nice. Um Jeremy Corbyn was eating a cake at the time, and I could smell the cake. What He's kind eating a of cupcake. cake was it? Some young children had made him some various cupcake, cupcakes, Labour-themed cupcakes. They had little things like kick-out-the-tories on and, <laughs> and things like that, um, <laughs> which were handed to him during the meeting. Um, so he was eating that. He offered me one as well. They were very nice.
3: That's good. Um
2: so I could smell the cake.
3: That's good. That's, yeah, you'll uh, see in
2: the interview photos, he's holding the cake, and uh, a few people have asked me what on earth it is.
3: Uh, great. Okay, well, we'll be back with Jerry Scott, angry, again, <laughs> next week.
1: <laughs>
3: Jerry Scott there, furious as ever, and frankly, rightly so. Um, if you are enjoying the new European podcast... There are many things you can do. You can subscribe to the New European podcast if you're not doing so already. Um, you could uh, give us five star rating on iTunes and write a beautiful review about us. What else can you do?
1: You could drive around town with your windows down,
3: playing it very loudly. Yeah, fronting and maxing, uh, like uh, the Fresh Prince once said, um, with it coming out uh, coming out of your um, of your uh, car stereo. Um, you could uh, give us a good review on Audio Boom. Uh, of course, you can follow the New European at uh, the New European. Uh, you can follow me at Sanglesey. That's S A N G L E uh, S E Y. Uh, what about you, Matt? Where can people follow you? You could follow me on social media disgrace Twitter at Matt Withers. <laughs> At Matt Withers, and also you can follow Richard Porritt, who's not here, uh, at Porritt. Uh, And let's move on now to um, to your uh, the reader question of the week and your responses to that. First of all, uh, last week on the podcast we were talking about uh, famous political. Uh, baths if you come from the north uh, political, famous political baths if you come from the south and we mentioned uh, the uh, horrendous uh, extract in Edwina Curry's diaries where she's talking about a, uh, a bath that she took with John Major uh, and um, he was rubbing her back and talking about the Irish problem or something. I can't remember now. Uh, the details are too revolting. We we mused at the time that it was a bit like a conservative version of Body Heat with Kathleen Turner and William Hurt. And we're indebted to um, at Jaffo, J A double F O. Uh, who photoshopped that up for us and sent it in you can You can view that uh, on the um, on the at northern European social media channels uh, and it 's a truly disturbing vista.
1: I just had a look at that before coming in to record this, and I viewed it with a mixture of disgust and fascination
3: yeah you can't once one scene it cannot be unseen as they uh, 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 as they say uh, now talking of movies. The reader question this week was, if there was a horror movie about Brexit, what would be the title? Now, we had quite a few Nightmare on Downing Streets, which is good. Uh, we had... Oh, talking of the Nightmare on, um, nightmare on Elm Street, um, I don't know whether this is true or not, um, but there's an apocryphal story that... Do you know about the title of A Nightmare on Elm Street? I do not. Uh, There's an apocryphal story that since Elm Street is one of the roads that leads into Dealey Plaza, or is it one of the roads around Dealey Plaza, that A Nightmare on Elm Street was a newspaper um, headline that uh, Wes Craven saw uh, the day after the Kennedy assassination and sort of filed away and went, oh, that would make a good title for a film one day. Anyway, um, the most popular ones, as I said, Nightmare on Downing Street and the Brexit Chainsaw Massacre. Those were good. These first lot aren't really horror movies, but they're good anyway. Mike Keski's said the Abyss. Uh, Mel Lloyd said the Never Ending Tory. Uh, Federico Marquez said the World's End. Uh, EU Spotter said instead of Fargo, Farago, uh, and Brexit Aftermath said Skull Island. Uh, then we get into some actual horror ones. Mrs. H said The Brexistist. Uh, Totoro, the well-known cuddly anime character, uh, said I know what you'll be doing next summer. Uh, brackets picking fruit, close brackets. I really like that one. Teresa Baker said goodness only knows what we did last summer. Uh, Neuron Therapy said Repulsion, uh, which is a great film. Philip Gents said Misery. Uh, David Berman said Westminster Village of the Damned, and Scott Darby said, uh, who's remembering from Dust Till Dawn, said from Tusk Till Forlorn. Brackets, sorry, I know that's terrible, close brackets, which to be fair, Scott, it is. Uh, what have you got there, Matt? David Berman says Creep Show. David Berman, he did Westminster Village of the Damned
1: as well. They've, He's prolific. He's been a busy boy. Pat Eggleton says The Cabinet of Dr. Harry Carrey. Well That's good. Graham Hunt says Pride, Prejudice and Zombies Robin Carute, hope I've pronounced that correctly Robin, says Scary Movie that's simple but effective Darren Leafley says Hell, Teresa with the bonus tagline it will tear your soul apart Kevin Arthur says
3: Brain Dead," and Patrick Weimer says The Calamityville Horror The Calamityville Horror, man alive what a horror it is, thank you to Matt Withers thank you ever so much to you uh, for listening, uh, please like us. Please give us great reviews. Uh, please follow our social media accounts. Richard Porritt will be back uh, next week. Uh, now he is beach body ready, and uh, we will uh, we will see you then. Here
1: you go. <laughs>